Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. We hope you're having a great week. This week, we're going to be discussing some of the stories and questions you guys have sent in to us. As a reminder, if you ever want to send a question into Enlightened Empaths, you can message us on our Facebook page where we can be discovered by just typing in Enlightened Empaths, or you can email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. Denise, would you like to start us off? I'd love to. Our first one says, I'd love to hear your perspective on the energetic shifts that the world seems to be going through lately. You'd briefly touched on this in a recent show regarding listeners' questions. I seem to be very emotional lately and am processing a very deep sense of grief. I think my grief is due to the polluting destruction of the earth, nature, and a culture that disrespects humans and animals, which I feel are sacred, interrelated, interdependent part of this planet. Sometimes I get nauseous and find it difficult to sleep when it feels like my path forward seems uncertain. I'm very grateful that we're fine financially. It's just, it just feels unsettling to be traveling forward to a totally new, unfamiliar future. I have faith that we're all moving toward a better world. I just don't know how the process will work or how long it will take. I'm trying to meditate more and connect with my guides and angels, but I know that takes time and practice. And I don't have a strong connection to them yet. I send love and light to the world every morning, visualizing a healthier, more humane, respectful, inclusive, and loving world for all. Any insights that you would like to give regarding this major energetic shift would be wonderful. Thank you so much for all the wonderful work you do. Best wishes, Susan. Uh, So much of what Susan shared in this is what has been coming up for a lot of people lately this need, this draw, this desire to be more reconnected with earth, with uh, it being a part of all things. The, the physical symptoms have also been for a lot of folks, you know, one day feeling like, okay, I've got this, this is good, we're on it, and then feeling kind of overwhelmed, too much, too much. And, and I, think, I think we are right in the thick of it right now. And the pandemic is one aspect, the unrest is one aspect, our own personal growth and evolution is another aspect of it. But I still hold on to whatever, like the, the deep personal work we're doing. And this goes back to her, her comment about everything being interrelated is that it sends, we're, we're not only working on our own growth and healing, but we're sending out that energy to help other people feel that, to help the planet feel that, to send it back to our ancestors. I I truly believe the work we're doing now is going to bring us all together in unity and, and more cohesive as a species on the planet. I agree. I I think the hardest thing about right now is the unknown. It's Mm -hmm. the greatest fear we'll ever have. It's why we fear death. It's why we fear the depths of the ocean. It's right now we're in this time where so little is known, you know, will this COVID thing end? What is with this Delta variant? And now there's a new variant and how long and had the, you know, I keep thinking my mom was born in 1939. So she was six years old when World War II ended. And she used to talk about how her mom rationed sugar until like the late 1950s, because in the beginning stages of World War II, they didn't know how long it was going to go on. They didn't know how long they were going to have to grow their victory gardens. And that sense of not knowing was the most stressful part for so many people on a day-to-day level. And I think in many ways, we're living in that sense of what's going on? When is this going to end? What's true? What's not true? 
how can I feel connected to people? How can I feel connected to nature? How can I, how can I, how can I? And I do think this listener is right that meditation and prayer is a really important key. But I also think just checking out and tuning off and and laughing is really important too. You know, just taking whole breaks where you don't think about everything because really so much of what's happening right now, we have very little control over. And what we do have control over is our own mood, emotions, energies, and reactions. And I think if we stay in a place of calmness and kindness, I think that's going to spill out into our whole emotion. And really the world that you see around you is an echo of what's going on within you. And so if we take care of what's going on inside of us and keep ourselves feeling balanced and whole, that's going to have a positive ripple effect eventually. But it is a difficult time. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and seek connection in in whatever way you can, whether it's through a book club or joining a Facebook group or creating a healer's group in your town. I, I think we need to seek connection. That's beautifully, beautifully put. And I'd like to add one more thing that on a personal level is helping me as I keep reminding myself, am I coming from a place of kindness? Am I being grateful? Because it's so hard with what we're getting hit from, from all directions to sometimes fall into buying into the polarity and and the unrest. And and that's not going to do any of us any good, especially as empaths. Definitely. Okay, our next question says, I've learned a lot from you. Finally, something that speaks to the soul. I recall you mentioning your relationship with your mom, Samantha. I can relate. Mine is a narcissist. Counselors in the past say my family emotionally abuses me. She plays games, highly manipulative. It's had such an impact. I never feel good enough. My only true family member is my dad who passed suddenly. No illness, gone in less than two hours. Wow, I'm so sorry. That was three years ago. I was the only one there with him. Since then, my mom and her son, who are two peas in a pod, changed the locks, threw my sister and I out. She has since contacted me, and during lockdown, I have checked on her, taken food round, and helped. It's that push-pull, hurt-pain, not good enough. There's a lot more to say, but I just want advice, support. How do you become stronger and stay away from the toxicity? I even saw a document that is in her will where my brother gets everything. That's fine. It's wrong, but whatever. My mom and I, my mom and brother have taken me to the brink. I need help. I live with my sister, but she has similar traits to my mom and treats me poorly. I don't want to get fleeced by the counselors, etc. I feel vulnerable and trying to get my protective gear on. Any help is appreciated. Wow, that's that's a lot to go through and and take on. And what I find so tragic and sad about narcissistic parents is their ability to divide and conquer. And so if you see siblings who aren't very close, very often there is a narcissistic parent who has been pulling those puppet strings. And sometimes by the time we get to adulthood, it's really too late to do anything about that because those patterns are so ingrained in us. One thing I would say is focus on staying really, really strong within yourself so that you can get to a point where you don't have to rely on anyone. Um, And I don't mean like, you know, an island unto yourself. I mean, where you can focus on getting a job that pays better so that you can move out of your sister's home. I think when we're in that healing stage, we need to focus on 
removing ourselves from the toxicity. It's only then that you can heal. It's like having someone pump poison through your veins and asking, how can I heal from this poison? Well, you can't until it's out of your veins. And if you're engaging this toxic situation, it's going to be incredibly hard to heal when you're swimming in it. So I would recommend that you try your best to get to a place of independence from your family where you don't have to engage them until you're stronger, until you have healed. And that does take time. And yes, you all know I recommend therapy, but I know it can be expensive. If it's something you can't afford, check out books on narcissists. If you just go to Amazon and Google narcissistic mothers, there are so many wonderful books. Will I ever be good enough? Uh, Toxic parents. There, There's a plethora that you can read and they give a lot of helpful tools and advice in there. And one, what will happen is eventually you'll get to a point where you will see that your mom is really like a two-year-old in a chronic temper tantrum. When you can get to that point and have that distance and perspective, that's when the healing can begin. But until then, I, I would just say, don't focus on this family at all. Don't, don't engage in that push-pull. Uh, just remove yourself as much as you can financially and emotionally so that you can focus on getting yourself strong and healed and whole. Right. And, th- and this, I think, is a pattern for so many of our listeners is, is not feeling like they have the support from their family of origin, not feeling like they belong, not feeling welcome, not feeling valued, which does again align with a narcissistic parent or other family member. And I think boundaries, even little tiny, tiny baby steps. When we had Terry Cole on the show uh, in the past, her podcast, and on boundaries, her book, Boundary Boss, might be something to really visit as well, because whatever you can do to protect yourself, and also a lot of the things we talk about for psychic protection of, you know, put your shields up, at, do a prayer, picture a buffer, do those when you're around your family of origin, because I, it will make a difference. Also, when People are saying, oh, you'll regret this later on, or you'll need to do this, you'll need to do that work. One thing that may help is this is deep karmic patterns, and you're doing heavy, heavy, heavy work right now. And just please be kind to yourself and uh, realize that this too shall pass, because it really will. And taking care of yourself is paramount. That's so important what you just said, Denise. I remember my old therapist, Dr. Bennett, I said to him when I was taking another break from my mom, I said, you know, if she just dies suddenly, I'm going to feel so much guilt. And he said, Samantha, when you're the child of a narcissistic parent, you're going to feel guilt no matter what. If you stay in the relationship and you engage the hurt, you're going to feel guilty. If you leave and something happens to her, you're going to feel guilty. He said, so just choose your guilt. (laughs) Right. And And that is so important, you know, because that is something we always, as children of narcissists, we are, we we run in currency of guilt. There's a book by Alice Miller, a psychologist, and she has an entire book that's basically on that commandment that says, honor thy parents. And Mm -hmm. she says, if she could remove one commandment, it would be that one. And I, I talked to my priest about that. 
uh, who's now retired, but he said, if you look at some of the original writings of how the commandments were written, you know, it's been translated through so many languages. In some of the original writings, it said, honor thy honorable parents. Oh. And I, I wish that had stayed in. I know we need to move on, but one more quick little thing is find other people outside of your family that see you for who you truly are. Because I think that that can be really, really helpful to find a friend, a community member, someone you work with, someone that realizes you shine a bright light and they value that. Our next one says, I want to develop my intuition and have been learning about the metaphysical world long enough to believe that we're all psychic. But I feel I see no evidence of those gifts in myself. A lot of the questions like this on, the, on this podcast and on psychic teachers come from people who are starting to see ghosts or get psychic kits or doing night work or having other experiences that they want to figure out. I have none of those things. I think I might be a Hyoka empath, but I don't display many other characteristics of an empath. I don't think I could even take one of your intuitive development classes because I wouldn't get anything. It's like, <laughs> I need a class called, I'm not psychic. Now what? But I really believe in this work and in this world. And when I do, I do get signs from loved ones on the other side and often see repeating numbers, but my brain will just not quiet down. Even if I listen to a guided meditation, my mind wanders. I'm a very spiritual person and would love your input on how I can start having a two-way conversation with spirit and be my own psychic. Thank you for all you do, Shannon. Uh, I, I am so glad that, that the Shannon started this out with saying, I do believe we're all psychic because I agree with that. If you think about, um, let's go really basic, we're, we're animals, we're mammals, we're all, you know, animals have an instinctual knowing. We have that as well. Also, um, the, the things that she describes, she really is getting psychic hits by, you know, getting signs from spirit and, and the connections from and seeing the repeating numbers. But I'm going to field this to you because you actually have a course, Be Your Own Psychic. So I would, I think that you can really um, <laughs> give more insight. I don't know about that. But one thing I keep hearing in that email is trust. And I feel like the first thing she needs to do is start to practice trusting herself. And I don't mean that in a spiritual or intuitive way. I just mean trusting your gut, trusting your decisions, trusting your thoughts. The more that we can learn to trust ourselves, the more we can then engage our intuitive side. Something else you can do is work with hemisync meditations because they help to balance the left brain, right brain. Often if we're having intuitive blocks, it's because we live too much from our left brain and we need to engage our right brain. And so hemisync meditations that you listen to with, with headphones uh, in particular will help you start to bridge that gap between the left and right brain. Anything you do that's creative, writing, reading, drawing, doodling, journaling, gardening, Anything that engages your creative side is going to enhance that right brain work. Remembering your dreams and starting to learn to work with the power of your dreams is going to help enhance your intuition as well and, and empower your right brain. So I really think it comes down to trust. There's always this hidden question with so many people who have intuition blocks, and that is, who me? You know, who am I to think I'm psychic? And I think that's why Denise and I are so passionate about teaching psychic and mediumship abilities, 
because it's not a gift. I, I really don't like it when people call it a gift, like, like they're special and they're chosen. And I don't know, they should star in their own hero's journey, Star Wars movie. You know, it's not a gift. It's an ability. Like Denise said, even the animals have, we all have this. It's just a matter of peeling away all the layers that are blocking it. And I feel like one of the strongest layers is this inability to trust your inner knowing. And so I think it would start with that. Then I would move on to enhancing the right brain aspects. And then I would move on into meditation. But really and truly just understanding and knowing that we all have this ability. And also pay attention when you have a gut feeling, when you have an instinct and intuition about doing something, saying something, reaching out to someone, write it down so that you remember it. And then you can start to build on that inner trust. It takes time. Something Denise and I often remind our students in class, one of the best mediums in the world, I think you'll agree, Denise, is Gordon Smith. Mm -hmm. Yes. And if you read... If you read his book, um, I think the newest edition is called Mediumship Made Easy, but he has an earlier one um, that's very similar just on his experiences. He sat in a development circle, which means every Friday night he would go to someone's home and they would all sit in a circle in chairs and they would meditate and try to get messages every Friday. And he did that for years and years before he got any message. And so this really and truly does take time. It's not something that can happen by reading a book or taking one class or doing one meditation on YouTube. It takes time. Those were all beautiful suggestions. And you made a really good point of all the going to that other, what will shut your brain off? Get, you know, get your hands in the dirt or do a craft or paint or create or or run or do something that just gets you out of your thinking part of your brain. Because I think that's a lot of the time we're getting the hits, we're getting the premonitions, we're getting the signs, but then our logical mind will kick in and say, Oh, I'm making that up. That can't be right. Why do I think this is so excellent, excellent advice. Thank you. Yeah. It just takes so long to kind of get out of that old mindset. I was watching a video clip. Someone sent me of a man who remembered a past life and he remembered the name of the submarine, the name of the man that was with him on the sub when he went down. He remembered the name, first and last name of his high school girlfriend. Um, and he remembered really weird details, like uh, he only ate the heel of the bread and a, a loaf of bread. And he only walked into the back door of his home. He never went into the front door. So the hypnotherapist was like, this is really detailed, like mundane stuff that he's coming up with. So they found his surviving aunt and uncle and they went and interviewed them. And the aunt and uncle verified everything. Like, yeah, he really did only eat the, yep, he only did enter through the back door. Yeah, that was his girlfriend's day. And at the end of the interview, the aunt was like, I don't think he's lying, but I, I still don't know that I believe in reincarnation. <laughs> So, you know, sometimes these, these beliefs are just so ingrained in our head, you know, that, I don't know, I have, a, I have an in-law who's very, very, very invested in a very conservative religion. And I was able to bring through his brother with very specific details early on in my development. 
And he still won't talk about it. He doesn't doubt it. He just, it's like, if something doesn't fit in your paradigm, you just kind of ignore it. And I wonder if so many times people that are struggling with their intuition, if they're ignoring so many of the times when their intuition is speaking to them because it doesn't fit into their known reality. That's a a very good point. Okay. Our next question says, this morning I was listening to an old episode from Enlightened Empaths titled, Are You an Animal Empath? Great episode. You all were talking about pets staying around sometimes after they die and how you can feel them, hear them, and or see them for the first few days. You said you did a meditation to send one of your pets to the light. I remember the episode from Psychic Teachers about how human spirits don't pass through the light until a certain amount of time after their last memorial service. It made me wonder if the same could be applied to our animals. If we had some sort of memorial service for our pets, would it help them go to the light so they can pass to the other side? I know it sounds a little kooky, but I just mean something as small as the pet's immediate family lighting a candle or saying a few words, just some kind of ritual. Would this help to create the light that they need to go to? I just hate the idea of any spirit, human, animal, or other, being stuck or thinking they're stuck in this earthly realm. Just a thought I had, maybe way too out there, but if it meant our pets could be at peace, of course, anything is worth that. I did have a funeral for my pet turtle who died when I was 10. My sister and I and best friend both attended and we wrote on his casket, which was a jewelry box, what the heart once owned, it shall never lose. Isn't that beautiful? That makes me believe that she's right. And I don't think this is too out there at all. I mean, I think a lot of parents have had funeral services for their children's pets, but how many of us do that as adults when our adult pets pass? So I think this is a wonderful idea. So many times our pets will hang around simply because they feel this sense of loyalty to us. And so I agree with her, a memorial service where we could honor them and help us grieve, but also remind them it's okay to go into the light and you know, you'll never be lost to us and, and we'll never be lost to you. We'll, we'll see you again. And if you're alone with your pet, you can do this. It, it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of people. You can also honor your pet's life and, and have a, a ritual, a ceremony, a, a, a sending off party, so to speak. And that will also be effective. Yeah, I agree. And it made me think because she's talking about when, when my Doberman Gretchen passed and I kept hearing her and my middle daughter kept seeing her. And it really wasn't until I read this email, Denise, that I realized we didn't have a, a burial for her. I was so devastated when she passed. I was going through breast cancer and Gretchen passed from breast cancer. Oh, and my. So it was just really emotional for me. And I just tried to, you know, grieve and, and move forward and focus on the next doctor's appointment. But now I'm wondering if that's part of the reason. So I think it's a great idea. I think we should, I've done it with most of my pets and I never really realized that with Gretchen, I was just in such mourning. We, we just kind of pushed on through. So I do think anytime. And I also believe if someone's listening to this and going, gosh, I never did that for my pet who died six, seven years ago. I don't think it's ever too late. Right. 
You know, you can always light a candle or do a crystal grid or just go visit where you buried them or or here's a, here's a weird thing. My childhood cat who was with me for 23 years, I kept his ashes near me for years. Like like way too many years. And it wasn't until I knew I was going to stay in this house for a long time and I'd lost another pet that I finally buried Bo's ashes. So I don't um, think it's ever too late to to have that ceremony. No, I agree with you. Uh, our next one, really quick. I can't even tell you how excited I was to hear a Mormon girl on your podcast. And then I go to Kaylin's Facebook page and she's friends with 13 people that I know. Not Facebook friends, but people I actually know. Thank you so much for your fantastic podcast. I feel like my two worlds just collided and and we've said this over and over and it this brought such a big smile to my face because that's what we're hoping to do here is to build like-minded community to and to bring people together to realize we're not alone there are other people and isn't it fascinating how synchronous some of the connections become through a show a class a, a, things that seem totally unrelated i absolutely love that I do too. And we got so much feedback from having her on the show. Didn't she just have the best energy? Oh, yes. Walking the talk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just a heart of gold. I love it. I'm so glad that, that our show was able to be a catalyst for another connection. All right. Our next one says, I've meant to email for quite some time with the sign response I received from my guide. I kept it simple and asked to see a red bird. The day after asking for the sign, I went to lunch with my wife to a restaurant that we frequently go to. It was busy and we were seated in a section I never sat in before. After about 15 minutes or so, I happened to look up and noticed a St. Louis Cardinals jersey with two Cardinals on it. I live in New York, not sure why a Cardinals jersey was hanging there. It's a Yankee bar. I was astonished, but my wife said it was merely coincidence. So I asked my guide for another sign. When I got home, I was on kid duty with my seven-year-old autistic son, Andrew. He does talk, but he is quite limited on what he talks about. I was changing his clothes when he said he wanted to see the red bird to daddy. I just stared at him for a bit. I never said anything around him to say that. My wife definitely agreed that was a sign. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's from Brian. Okay. I love this sign for so many reasons. First of all, he asks for the sign and he gets it right away in a place he's comfortable with, but hasn't been in that area of the restaurant before. He gets his sign. He believes it. It's enough for him. But his wife is like, mm, I don't know, which I get, right, Denise? Haven't you been with <laughs> I know we've both been married to people who are like, mm, I don't know. Right. <laughs> that can be really hard because you're so excited. You got your sign, but you want your partner on board too. You want your partner to go, oh my God, that's amazing. So guides showed up and is this not the most amazing sign that, that it came from his son, his beautiful son? How can, how can a mom ignore that? Right. And especially that he talks, but he's quite limited on what he wants to talk about. And I, I really, really believe a lot of um, that now it's called non-neurotypical or children that or people that are wired a little differently are so, so, so intuitive and connected and beautiful, beautiful message. 
Oh, I do through that little boy. That's wonderful. I, I, I think they exist on a higher frequency. I agree. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Our next one says some very complicated issues are happening in my family of origin right now. Although it doesn't immediately have to do with me, I can feel myself being pulled in. I know boundary work is in order for all of us. Some boundary work is obvious and others I don't know if I'm overdoing it. Boundary work is so hard, I worry about being rejected by those I love the most. In some cases, I get vague threats about being cut off when I put up a boundary, which makes me doubt myself even more. I even feel myself becoming a bit of an energy drainer to others as I feel the need to share my story because I can't just sit with it, even though spiritually I know I'm on the right path. While we navigate this difficult season in life, how do I protect my energy but still remain supportive? How do I make sure I'm not being an energy vampire to others? I'm looking to grow from this and would love to hear your thoughts. It's interesting that this comes up when we were talking about the boundaries earlier in the show. So again, Terry Cole's book, Boundary Boss, is a good place. All of those things. And it is. It, it, I personally think there is a fine line between am I setting a boundary or am I, it's like we have to protect ourselves, but not be defensive. So there's part of it, but also not wanting to keep dumping our, our bucket on somebody else because we're trying to, to set these boundaries. Well, she says in here, I, I feel the need to share my story, but I, you know, cause I can't sit with it alone. And I don't know if I'm on the right on the right path, but then am I becoming an energy vampire? I think we can all relate to this. Have you ever been going through something that's so heavy and intense? It's kind of all you can talk about. That is a really hard place to be in because you need to you need to talk it out. That's how that's how we process. That's how we heal. It's that old saying I love: you have to grieve it to a witness. And I think especially going back to our first question, Denise, something I just said to a friend the other day, I was having a day, you know, one of those days where I was just like, okay, really? Like when, when is the good luck cycle supposed to kick in? And I sat down and I thought, I just need to talk about this and process all of this with someone. And I thought, okay, I'll call so-and-so. Ooh, I can't. She's going through a hell of a week too. All right, fine. I'll call so-and-so. Ooh, no, she's moving this week. Okay, I'll call. Nope, she's go- Everyone I knew was going through something dramatic or stressful or awful. And I thought, I can't call anyone because no one's going to want me to add to it. Do you ever have that experience where like oh. everyone you know is going through shit? Right. And not wanting to exactly said, not wanting to keep dumping that, not wanting to keep reiterating and re replaying that same loop tape of, of the same scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So that's hard. And then sometimes you have friends, I just call them uh surfacey friends, you know, and, and they're great, you know, but they don't want to go to that deep end of the ocean. They don't want to hear negative bad stuff. So you don't call them. So I think you have to look at your friends and ask, like, okay, who who is a vault friend? You know, mm-hmm. if anyone's a Seinfeld listener, you know what I mean? Like, like who's going to, who's, if you tell someone to, who's going to keep it in the vault, who's going to hold space with you, that friend, if you're lucky to have more than one, okay, then those friends you hold on to. And I always like to give those friends a warning. So I'll text them and I'll say, I'm having a really rough day. I need, I, I don't want to slime you, <laughs> but I need to talk. 
If you have any free time today or tomorrow, let me know. Because I never want to call someone and be like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Just sitting here at work. How about you? Well, and then just on them. You know, I don't want to do that. So I always like to give them a heads up. However, there does come a time when sometimes there is no one that you feel you can talk to. And that's when I recommend therapy or your journal or your prayer life. You know, I go for walks with God all the time and I, I dump on him all the time because it's, it's like my friend Allison said to me years ago when I was going through a lot of issues with my ex-husband's brain injury. And I said, I'm so angry at God. I'm just, I can't even pray. I'm so pissed at him. And she said, oh, Samantha, God can handle your anger. (laughs) (laughs) So I do think we've got to get it out there. Um, And something else that Dr. Christian Northrup said when she was on our show years ago, do you remember she said, if you think you're an energy vampire, that's the first sign that you're not? True. I don't know if that's always true, but it's, you know, I think that's a, that's a good thing to consider. Most people who are true energy vampires who were just, you know, which is kind of a fancy word for narcissists who are just all about me, 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 they're not thinking that. So the fact that she's asking that is important. Yes, I agree. Our next question says, I just wanted to share a night work experience that I had about nine months ago. At that time, there were several nights when I was called to help the spiritual side while I was asleep. This is the experience that stuck with me the most. I was outside, but it was pitch black and I could not see a single thing. There were lots of voices around me, so I knew I wasn't alone. In front of me was the entrance to a tunnel. Again, I couldn't see it. I just knew it was there. One of the voices told me that someone was in the tunnel and they needed me to go and get them. I said, okay, I'll go and began walking into the tunnel. I was with the group. All of us were journeying into this tunnel together. I could hear lots of voices and footsteps around me. A ways in, the tunnel forked. The group of voices all went down the tunnel to the right. I almost followed, but got the feeling that this was not the right direction. I hesitated for a moment, but then walked down the left tunnel alone. Not far into this tunnel, I came to a man. I couldn't see him because it was so dark, but I could hear him. He patted my shoulder with his hand and thanked me profusely. He had a very mature sounding voice. He kept saying, thank you for coming. I couldn't find my way out. Thank you. Thank you. I could tell by the sincerity in his voice that he was very grateful. I told him, it's okay. I can lead you out. I led him out of the tunnel. When we got back outside, the voices of the others surrounded us. At this point, even though it was still pitch black and I could see nothing else, I did see the man that I had helped. He was in his 70s, bald and shirtless. I knew it was him because he patted my shoulder again and thanked me. He was on the verge of tears and so happy. The man was led away from me, so I assumed I was finished. But one of the voices said to me, there's someone else inside the tunnel. I said, okay, and journeyed back. This time I walked alone, although I could hear that other searchers were also in the tunnel. Eventually, the tunnel I was in opened up into a larger space. And in this space, I could see. There was a car against one wall with the driver's side door open. A young brunette girl who looked to be in her early 20s stood beside the car. Unlike the man, she did not approach me, so I hesitated. We just kind of looked at each other for a moment. Then I said, hello, I'm here to lead you out of the tunnel. She said, okay, and I turned to lead the way out. 
She followed me for a few steps and then said, wait, I forgot something. When I turned around, I saw her go back to the car. She climbed into the driver's side and shut the door. Then she got very still. When I walked closer, I realized I had not been speaking to a living person. She was already dead. I knew I had been sent to help her and had heard that ordinary people like me could open the light for souls to cross over. So that's what I did. I called down a beautiful bright light from heaven. The girl moved out of the car and through the light and was gone. I watched the light close. After a moment, I journeyed out of the tunnel alone. Outside, the voices were still mulling around, and I stayed for just a while longer before I was released and woke up. I haven't told anyone about this experience or others before. Thank you for listening to it. Not long after this experience, I had one that it was interrupted when my youngest, who was four years old, woke up and came into my bedroom to get me. Being a Reiki practitioner, I am sometimes hyper aware of the energetic connections between things, and I began worrying about what sort of energy could be left behind if I was interrupted during these experiences. I asked my guardian angel to stop the experiences until my kids weren't at the ages when they needed me in the middle of the night. The experiences stopped, and I thanked my angels for his help with that. Wow. That's a very powerful series of experiences, and that one in particular is truly what I would call a night worker or soul traveler experience because the tunnel, I mean, how many of us know about near-death experiences where you go into a tunnel? The way she's describing it makes me feel as though when we're in that in-between space where we're not fully alive and we're not fully dead, it's almost like we're in a different dimension that we perceive as a tunnel. And because these souls aren't aware that they're dead, Often they can't see their guide or their angels, and often they can't see their loved ones who have already gone to heaven because they're vibrating so high that the frequency that we earthlings live in can't perceive of that. And so that's why these people need humans, mediums, people who are on earth who have agreed to do this either during meditation or during night work to help them see the light and move forward. It's interesting to me that the first man she helped, the bald shirtless man, she led him back out the tunnel to where she had entered with the other group, which almost makes me feel like she was helping a man who wasn't dead or dying, that she was helping a man come come back from maybe a, a series of, of deep depression or just a dark night of the soul. Whereas the woman in the car was deceased. And I feel that this listener helped her cross over fully to the other side. So she's doing very, very important work. I understand about asking your angels to stop these experiences when your kids are young. I, I totally get that. But do know that when or if you're ready to start this again, you know, all you have to do is say, I'm ready, put me in coach, and it will start up again. What do you think about that, Denise? I think it's it's very sacred work. I really do. And to have that, because as you were reading it, you're able to fall right into it and visualize it and see it and feel it. So I can tell that it, it feels like it was almost more of a, a lucid experience for this person um, that was as real as you and I are talking right now. And, and that's huge. And I agree, you know, that, it's being of service, it's helping. And if you're called to do that work, they'll, they'll let you know if they want you on that team. 
Our last one says, love the Oracle deck show. I especially enjoyed that you pulled cards for us. Both of the cards spoke to me deeply and moved me to pull out some of the Oracle decks I've accumulated over the years. I'd love it if you'd pull the occasional card for us again. So we will do that right now. Okay. I've got a deck called Fairy Wisdom. It's a really sweet deck with a lot of positive messages. I'm shuffling. Denise, you tell me when to stop and I'll pull a card for all of our listeners. Stop. Okay. I got ooh, the Shea Fairy from Summer. And it says, radiant sunshine turns blossom to bloom, sweet wishes coming true. So hold on one second and let me find it in here and I'll read you what it says. I like this deck because it's got a lot of positive messages. You know how sometimes you get some decks and it's like, oh, bad things are heading your way. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need that right now. We need all positive messages. And so this is a deck I've been working with. All right, hold on. I'm still in the fall fairies. It's divided into seasons. So the card says, you will experience the magic of life and will shine with happiness. Chance may have you speculating on an enterprise that could be either an amusing diversion or happy employment. You will get what you want without delay or hindrance. Fate is opening doors to new acquaintances whom you will travel to and meet. Some of these meetings will lead to long-lasting friendships and to new work or a lifelong hobby and an exciting company, which you would enjoy as the best days of your life. Wow. How's that? Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. (laughs) Yes, I think we can all embrace that card. Um, I'm going to pull one very quickly from the Power of Surrender cards by Dr. Judith Orloff. This is to transform your life by letting go, which I think a lot of us are trying to do right now. And well, I don't know how this fits. It says surrender denial, accept people and situations exactly as they are without denying the difficulties. Then you can see things clearly and make the best decisions. Is it surrender and denial or surrender to denial? Surrender denial. Oh. So, yeah. So just accept people and situations without denying how difficult it might really be to get through, which kind of fits with a lot of our stories today. It really does. That's a great message. We all need to work on surrendering any denial within ourselves or others. I love it. Say the name of that deck again. It's the Power of Surrender Cards by Dr. Judith Orloff. Okay. And mine was Fairy Wisdom. Thank you for that suggestion. We will definitely try to do more of that since, since you guys seem to enjoy it. We hope that you guys have enjoyed these questions and stories Please remember you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail.com or you can Facebook us at Enlightened Empaths to send us your story or question for next month's Community Connections. Have a great week, everyone. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.